The first Bible reading for today is uh, Psalm 22, and if you are following on with one of the Blue Bibles, that's page 547. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display, people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to the people yet unborn, he has done it. Our second reading for today is uh, found in Matthew chapter uh, 6, and we're just reading verses 9 to 15, and that's on page 970. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I reckon I might start a talk on why pray by praying. So let's uh, let's do that together now. Heavenly Father, we come before you uh, this morning, um, wrestling with what it is to pray and why we do it. Uh, with particularly heavy hearts this morning, help us as we're wrestling with what's going on in our lives and what's happening for the lockeries and for Steph. Now we ask your spirit will help us to see clearly who you are and how and why we can talk to you. Amen. Let's grab my talk. That's all right. Um, Our topic for today is why pray? And it's quite... uh, been quite a challenge this week to be thinking about that as we've spent a lot of time praying as a church over the last few weeks and and, and it's um, an emotional time and I was thinking about why I pray and I thought I'd start off by telling you a story of why Jen's dad first prayed or the first prayer that had an impact. Uh, Jen was being was born in the hospital and so mum was in uh, hospital and Jen's older sister um, who was here a little while ago um, in January um, was at home as a baby and was quite sick. It happened really quickly, high temperatures. And Jen's day, Gary, not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, no real desire to do that, no plans to do that. And then all of a sudden, he just decided he'd do a deal with God. In his desperation, he said to God, he prayed, if you keep my daughter safe and help her to survive... I promise I'll go to church. That was his prayer. Well, Jack is fine. Gary, man of uh, integrity, at this moment, he, he did go to church, to the local church. He went there, met the minister. He said, well, why don't we read the Bible together? They did this introduction to Christianity course and as time had it, Both Gary and Sandra became Christians and Jen and her siblings were brought up in a Christian family because Gary made a deal with God. Why pray? Well, I'm not sure, as Gary has told me before, he said, I'm not sure that's the model. I'm pretty sure all that really did was highlight how extraordinarily gracious God is. That even in my arrogance and my rebellion, as if I can do a deal with God, he would pull me out. But that's kind of what we see a lot. And how do you pray and why do you pray, which is what we're going to wrestle with this week, particularly I've called why this week and how next week. And then actually later on, we're doing a series on how you follow Jesus for uh, all through winter. And there'll be another talk in prayer there where we'll particularly focus on the Lord's Prayer. During these talks on prayer, why do we do it? 
not to make deals with God, we move beyond that. And what I'm really hoping we get today, we see how integral it is and how we should be inspired and motivated to pray because of the reasons we consider. That's what I'm hoping that we see today. It's going to be challenging. I kind of go down the rabbit hole as you think about praying. I don't know if you've ever done it. Um, and I'm going to take us down that a little bit today. Once you start to think about prayer, it actually does get kind of hard. But as we do that, if, if wherever you're at with God, as someone who's prayed for a long time, whether you're someone who hasn't even done a deal with God, you, you don't know what it is to follow Jesus, or you're truly wrestling whether it is, today is a great chance for you to see what God is like. Because the reasons we pray is because we see God. And through that, it challenges us all and it challenges those of us who don't know whether Christianity is for them, that he's someone that we uh, can follow. And then our rest of our life is a life of prayer. So I've got five points today. The first one's a preliminary point and they'll come up on the screen. There's just the points to to flick up when I uh, uh, point them out. Of course, in the outline, it's blank because I had no idea what I was going to say when we did the outlines this year, this uh, month. I've got a preliminary point, which is kind of important. Um, then I've got a really challenging point that uh, Peter Locker actually helped me articulate why it's so challenging. And then I've, I think the next three kind of help explain that. So let, let, let's go through it. And, and uh, God willing, we'll see a bit of his word. If you've got a Bible there, I'm going to take us to a few passages and stop at a few. I'll mention some and read them out to you. And then there's a couple I want you to turn to. Why pray? Well, first, preliminary thought, at its very base level, God, he commands it. He says, you're a follower of me, I want you to pray. We are told to pray regularly in the Bible. Now, when we say pray, what are we saying? The very simple way of saying it, the way that I've often taught it to kids, is you're talking to God. But it's a little bit more nuanced than that, I think we should realise, is Prayer is actually requests to God. That is cool. that, that, that's what kind of prayer means. And we, we um, you know, you've got thanksgiving and all sorts of other kind of what we call prayers, talking to God. But when you look at prayer, it requests, as we'll see um, a bit later as well. We are told to pray. Very simply, pray continually in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament letters is saturated in prayer and gives models to how to pray. We think about how to pray. We talk about it whenever he writes a letter to the church. He saturates it in prayer. He asks them to pray for him. Jesus, as we just read, teaches, pray. This is how you do it. God wants us to pray. In 1 Timothy 2.8, um, it, it's, uh, there's an instruction specifically for men that they should be prayers. The Christian life is experienced by, as we see on our, um, one of the things that really core matters to us, by relying on prayer and the Bible, God's Word. It's at the very heart of what the Christian experience should be. Prayer, talking to God, bringing your requests to Him. It's not something we've come up with, it's not something that we wonder about. God wants us to do it. But here's the second point, crucial point and a very, very challenging point. 
God is sovereign. It's something we say all the time at Trinity Grove. I don't know if you've picked up on that. The God is in control of all things. Nothing happens outside his control. It's because it's one of the biggest themes in all of the Bible. Jesus is Lord, he's creator of all things. See, what we mean by sovereign is there's nothing that happens outside of him. He is the one who ordains all things and he's able to therefore hear prayers. Uh, if you weren't here the last two weeks, we did a little series on Revelation chapter 1 and 5. Um, and the last two weeks, chapters 4 and 5, if you go to Revelation, if you remember last week, is a vision of the heavenly throne room. In that heavenly throne room, the praises are of God is sovereign, God is in control. It was one of the themes of our, our, our sermons. And, and we saw that's what the praise is because God is creator. God is not just creator, he's the redeemer of creation in Jesus in chapter 5. God is sovereign over all things. He's already ordained everything. That is a great thing. But it's also very challenging for us. I wonder whether you've picked up why it's hard, why we don't have the full picture and why sometimes we can go down the wrong path in two directions. Because what does prayer do if God is that? It's unequivocal. We're not not challenging God's sovereignty. We're not going to deny it at Trinity Grove. We talk about it every week. Colossians Chapter 1 talks about Jesus being behind all things. All things were made through him, by him and for him. So why pray? You see, if we pray, ask God for something, and then because we've asked this has happened, all of a sudden, haven't we got things happen contingent on us asking God? See, it comes a bit of a problem. It's tricky. It's that, that can't be right because God's sovereign and he's not waiting for me to say something and if he's waiting for me, whether I say it or not will mean there'll be all different kinds of results and God's sovereignty is challenged. And yet, you can think it from the other side and, well, it doesn't change anything so prayer is good. It's a mechanical thing we do because we're told to do it and God wants us to pray and it's good for us and so let's do it. But the problem with that is I don't think that's how the Bible talks about prayer. It's not a mechanical thing. Now, we're going to pray for these things, but it's going to happen whether God wants it to happen or not. But we pray for it, and so we do it because it's good for us, and we do it. When the Bible talks about prayer, like the Psalms, for example, and we had one Psalm read this week, and we'll read another one next week, they're full of passion in prayer. It's like it really matters, and it's really emotive. It's challenging, isn't it? I'm not going to try and solve completely that problem this week. I'm going to bring it, come back to it again next week. But what I think is crucially important, as we'll get to in a moment, is the next three points make sense of that. How we can pray to a sovereign God and sit happily with God using our prayers and they're meaning something and having absolute value in which he can use and yet he's behind all things and ordains everything. You know, 40 times in the Bible it says God relents. In Exodus 32, um, you may know the story of the golden calf. You know the story of the golden calf? The, the uh, 
What's his name, Moses? I forgot Moses' name. Moses goes up the mountain, right? He goes up the mountain uh, and he gets the Ten Commandments. While he's up there, the boneheaded Israelites have been rescued, think, we need to create an idol, we'll make a golden calf. It's so stupid, we look at it and think how stupid they are, which then flips back onto us because that's what we're like. And we see his stupidity and God's angry. And God's angry and he says... I'm going to deal with this. Moses pleads on their behalf. He pleads on their behalf and God relents. Has God changed his mind? He was going to do something and then he wasn't and how does it all work? An interesting point to note about God and his uh, relenting is that every time it happens, it seems to be when there's requests and what happens is God's glory is magnified and in the end, the plan of judgment, God's plan still happens that that's still the process of what takes place. And here we're just seeing an expression of how God is in control of all things. But on the flip side, you've got Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll actually, I'll, I'll get you to turn to in a, in a moment. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asks for something but says, your will. It's all your will. That's what we're going to go with. But the thing is, well, I put that elephant in the room. There's no easy solution for it. If you think there's an easy solution for it, I'll, I'll suspect maybe not. But what we have is that God commands that we pray and he's sovereign, which means the second song we sung today is possible. He is able to hear our prayers. We might not understand it all, but if he's in control of all things... He is able to hear them. That is crucial to take on place. So I've set it up a little bit for us, maybe brought up many questions for you and you're um, in the pit a bit. That's okay, I've been there all week, so welcome. Um, But let's think a bit further because if God's sovereign, he's not just some God who's out there. The next point, is he is a relational God. God is a relational God. Jesus prayed a lot. Going through the Gospels, particularly Luke, you see Jesus going off to pray, sneaking out to pray. At the moment of his despair... He goes to pray. Let's turn that open now. Go to Matthew 26, 39 and have it open in front of you. Matthew 26. The scenario is, if you're completely unfamiliar with what's happening, Jesus has had his last supper meal with uh, uh, the to disciples and he knows what's coming is he's going to go to the cross and he knows the full implication of that which we see in this verse and in light of that he comes to God and pray he tells the, his, his uh, disciples to go over there and pray and he's off by himself to come before his father and he says in verse 39 going a little far, farther he fell with his face to the ground and prayed my father If it is possible, may this cup 
be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. They are spectacular words. Look at them there. Jesus is saying to his father a request, I really don't want to go to the cross. Jesus came, became man to go to the cross. Every single thing he has been doing all the way is to go to the cross. He knows that's the plan. That's what he's going to do. In Luke's gospel, you get this turning point in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus turns resolutely to Jerusalem. And the rest of the story of Luke's gospel is Jesus heading there. He's going to the cross because his job is to die. He's on the brink of it. And he's like, oh, Father, if it's possible. See what he's done? He's brought his deepest, darkest requests to God. Even when he, he's to his father, he knows exactly what's happening. Why? Because he says, may this cup be taken away from me. That's the request. That seems a bit strange. Why a cup? Well, a cup is referring to God's wrath. In uh, Jeremiah and in and, and, and Old Testament uh, language, the cup is used to refer to the wrath of God. And Jesus is about to go and face God's wrath for all of the evil, all of the wrong that all of humanity has done. Just sit with that for a moment. That's what he's about to face. He knows it. His whole job has been to go and do that. It's not... Oh, in the last moment, while he was having the meal, he's going, oh, I've got to die. Well, that's a twist. Not for him. The disciples, it was kind of a twist because even though he kept telling them, they haven't quite got it yet. He doesn't want to... Emotionally makes complete sense, doesn't it? To pray that. Jesus become man, expressing total humanity here and facing the worst thing you could possibly imagine. Nothing is worse than this. Nothing. Father, I just desperately don't want to take it. This is a relationship, a perfect, pure relationship God has with himself. And Jesus, the perfect, obedient son, says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Extraordinary. God is relational. He is not some kind of thing out there. We are not talking about Star Wars, where it's a force, where you can try and understand it, but you can't relate to it because it's just a thing. All those kind of Eastern religions that, um, you know, that kind of idea comes from. Jesus is in relationship with his Father and the Spirit. In John's Gospel in 14 to 17, this whole interaction of the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son and how they work perfectly in harmony together is there for all to see in great detail, in deep theological brilliance. And here Jesus quite simply and emotionally at the point of doing what we've just reminded ourselves of in the Lord's Supper realises it and asks for it not to happen. 
but ask for it knowing that God is God and his will will be done. God is relational. This means he wants us to talk to him, still in point uh, three. He wants us to talk to him. That's what the Lord's Prayer is that we'll look at um, later on in the year. He teaches us to pray. Did you notice in the Lord's Prayer how many requests are in it? From the big request of God's kingdom to become, to give us our daily bread. It's all asking of God because he wants us to talk to him, you see. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4. I think Philippians chapter 4 is just such a, an encouraging and helpful verse uh, to flip, flip through. If you've got one of our church Bibles, you can get out the page number if you like for those who are trying to find it. One one eight one. Thanks, Alex. Chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants us to bring not just the odd thing when we can, when we get around to it, every situation by prayer and petition with a heart of thankfulness to him. The God who is perfectly in relationship with himself says, I want you to have that kind of relationship with me. Bring bring what's going on in your life. So the anxieties you have, cast them onto me. Ask the Almighty whatever and whenever and he hears them is what he's saying. But notice verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding. That is so helpful. Because we can't make sense of so much of this life and so much of our prayers that are not answered the way that we desperately want them to be. And we're being reminded that God's peace goes beyond what we're capable of understanding. It transcends, it goes beyond to what we can't know. You see, if God is sovereign and he's holding everything in his hands, he's created all things, he sustains all things, he knows that it all works together, all the plans, everything happens the way he wants, and we're thinking we don't understand because he hasn't told us. I don't think it's just that he hasn't told us. He has got so bigger he is so grander that we're not capable of understanding the magnitude of the lord of all who sustains all things i think that's actually really reassuring that that's our god that there are things that we cannot comprehend even though we really want to understand them because he is that big and that in control he's way beyond us there are lots of things i don't understand that many of you do and i will never understand If you understand anything of chemistry, I do not. I will never. I had a tutor and I still failed. I just couldn't do chemistry. I don't understand it. That's okay. We're talking all of the things of the world. God understands, but his peace cuts through. God's peace is what helps us. 
You see, God's peace in the Bible, do you know what peace is talking about in the Bible? It's not that we all get along together. When you see peace uh, in the New Testament, it's time and time again referring to how God takes us who are in rebellion of him and gives us peace between him and us. And that the peace that we can have with each other is because that has happened in Christ. You see, God is so desperate for us to be able to bring our concerns to him, he breaks down the barrier that makes it impossible. Turn to Luke 23, verse 34. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus is on the cross. He's about to die. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. His prayer on the cross is a prayer that will be forgiven because of where he is. There are never more important time where the words forgive are mentioned. This should be your first prayer if you have not come to Jesus. He's offering you forgiveness. He's saying there's no barrier to take it away. You cast all your requests to me. The barrier that there is, I'm on the cross for you. I am taking that wrath so that you can bring everything to me. I'm offering you forgiveness. Do you want it? The Christian says, I trust in you. Forgive me. Can I encourage you to do that today? If you haven't already, the offer is there. He can't do any more. He loves us so much. He is so able and willing that he does it for us. He doesn't just take away the barrier. He makes this relationship anew. We are called, we're called adopted into his family. I love 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. How great is the love the Father, that's God, that we now call Father, has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. If you've asked for forgiveness and trust that Jesus has died for you, it's not just that God is a relational God. It goes to our, our next point is we're made to be relational like him because he's our father. The sovereign Lord of all is saying, you see me as a father. Bring everything to me. Moments, fathers, when you get it right in that moment, you're a pale insignificance of the real father. And so often when fathers get it wrong, when we get it wrong and when horrible, tragic stories of what a father should be, here is the real father. So he's saying, bring everything to me and I am able and willing to do everything that you need. 
even when you don't understand and it's not what you think. See, that is because we're made in the image of God, as Genesis 1 tells us. We are able to relate to him. He is our father. See, prayer is not deal, transactional kind of system, as, as Gary pointed out after that. That's not how it works. It's, Father, I need to tell you something. Please help me. And he hears you. You see, we're made to be relational like him and that means prayer at its very core and foundation, I think this is possibly the most important thing I say this sentence right now. Prayer is our expression of our dependence on God. Prayer is the expression of our dependence on God. How do you know you're trusting something? Well, you lean on it. The Christian life is about living a life of trust, of dependence, bringing it to God. It takes you out of the driving seat. Give it to me, I'll do it. When someone doesn't do something the way you want, are you that kind of person? I'll fix it, I'll do it myself. If you do that with God, that's the challenge for you, is to come back and say, no, I need to pray. I need to bring it to him. You see, in the garden, when Jesus was showing the perfect relation, uh, relationship and the perfect dependence upon his father in prayer, what were the disciples doing? What, do you, what were they doing? They were sleeping. It's this stark, amazing contrast, isn't it? Go and pray. Jesus, not my will, but yours. He goes over to see, you're sleeping? You're supposed to be depending upon God. This is the hour. And yet, they teach us in their mistake and then when the Spirit comes in Acts and they're transformed into being like Christ, they depend upon God. Those very people who couldn't do it then and they start the church in Jesus. We are made to be in relationship and that means it fosters intimacy in this relationship. You see, we rely on prayer in the Bible because it's a relationship in which, you know, when you have someone that you like, you talk to them? Yes? No, you don't talk to them. <laughs> wow, that's awkward. I thought that's what we did. <laughs> I don't need to talk to you anymore. No, we talk to each other, don't we, when you like someone. Like last week, our celebration, it was a fantastic time. It was just such a great image, that table afterwards right that was brilliant all talking to each other it was a fantastic time you relate to each other you talk and you listen god's word we take it in then we talk to him god's word he talks to us he tells us what life's about how we live for him and then we talk back to him it's spectacular venting with someone is good i love a good vent we've had to vent about a few things um uh, that happened for our family this week, it's been, been, been frustrating and it's good, no solution needed, but it's even better when you share with someone who's in control of the situation and they get it and they fix it for you, or then it makes more sense, doesn't it? That's why I love being married to Jen, she listens to me when others just wouldn't for some of the things that I say, she's very gracious, but I've not always been that great for her. There was a time, uh, it was Chloe, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Chloe, Jen was preg- pregnant with Chloe and uh, Things weren't great. The baby was around the wrong way and the next morning you had to go and get the whole thing, kind of try to mush it and 
turn Chloe around, right? And it's kind of an anxious thing. And Jen was getting quite anxious about it reasonably and, and woke me up in the middle of the night and said, I'm really, really anxious about tomorrow morning. Can you pray? And I, I said, sure. And this is what I prayed. We pray, we pray, we... <laughs> and Jen's lying there, pretty angry at me right then, because I just went back to sleep. Now, in my defence, I want to say I was never awake and I just kind of did that in my stupor, but I don't think that cuts it, right? Because that's not how a relationship works. See, this relationship that fosters intimacy is when there's genuine talking and hearing and which we've got God's word. Do you not love it and want to get into it? Delve into it, push yourself way beyond it and then talk to him? I have this thing I call the prayer group observation. It... I've been in many prayer groups, try to have lots of prayer groups happen, and I sometimes find getting to the midweek with everything else going on really, really difficult to do. And it's something I say in my Christian circles, my evangelical circles, we're rubbish at. I'll put it that bluntly. We just don't do it enough, our prayer groups. It just doesn't happen as much. I say that um, as forcefully as I can. But part of it is because it's just so hard to get to them. But every single time I just push myself to go, and you know, partly because... And, and I say this, rebuking myself, because I have to, right? Sometimes that's why I, I go. That's rubbish for me to do that. Every time, I don't think there's ever a time when I leave and go, wow, I just prayed with God's people and I've uplifted, even in sorrow, as we prayed on uh, Tuesday night for Steph. It fosters intimacy and it's good for our soul. The last point, a quick one, before I give some reflections. I know I've gone long, but I couldn't help it today. Pray because within God's sovereignty, he uses our prayers. Now, I don't want to say I fully understand this, and we're going to go into a bit more next week, I think we will. God is fully sovereign, and in some way, he uses our prayers because we see that time and time again. It doesn't mean they always get answered the way we want. But he says, ask and you will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. Not... You ask, it always happened. Ask, and you ask a bit harder and a bit more, and it will definitely happen. That is tragic when we think like that and cause great damage to the church and God's people when we say you just didn't have enough faith or didn't pray hard enough. If anyone was to say that to me about what was happening for Steph and the Lockeries, that would be one time where I would try very hard not to get really, really angry and try and help you see that's wrong. In a moment after I pray, I'll update us all. And if you're not aware, um, one of our loved uh, family members is very unwell and her parents come and meet with us. They're at the hospital with her this morning. Um, I'll fill us in on that. But that pain, that heartache, we don't go that way. We bring it to God and say, we still don't understand why this is happening. But your will is good and we'll trust in you. Use our prayers, God. He does. If we want people to love Jesus and come here to Trinity Grove, go from darkness to light, we must be saturated in prayer. I'm not praying enough as your pastor. You need to pray more as part of Trinity Grove. Because God wants us to talk to him about it. More to say on that. I do want to go more, but I won't now. So a few quick things to wrap up. In light of the, the reasons why we pray that I've mentioned, 
I just want to say a couple things. Think of prayer as a vital expression of your dependence on God. Vital. It's our breath. God is in control of your life or not. If he is, talk to him. Talk to him. See, if you depend on God, I pray. When you're feeling out of control, when you're feeling anxious, even if you don't feel like after it it's changed anything, you still do it because it's expressing dependence. Secondly, be inspired and motivated to pray. Our sovereign God wants us to bring all our requests to him. He loves you. You're a child of God in Jesus. He's willing to hear you. It's beneficial and pleasant. Labor in it. If you don't pray, don't spend time each day. Spend five minutes. Move that up to 10. Move that up to 15. Get into time where you talk to your father. Now, have you ever heard of the phrase quiet times? You know, I don't know that's a particularly helpful phrase because it's not quiet at all. You're hearing from God and you're talking to him. It just might be because you're not saying it out loud because you're doing it by yourself, but it's actually a lot going on. And we need to be loving it. I want to finish. I'll, I'll skip one point and I'll move to this one to finish off with. God cares for us deeply. The deeply emotional, sad and confusing and painful what's happening to Steph. And she time and time again tells us, shows us what it is to serve the Lord when you don't understand. And God even gets it so much that even when we want to talk to him and we can't even say the words, when we can't even get them out because we're so confused, God's spirit intervenes for us. Open up Romans 8.26, just in case you've never seen it before. I know many of you know it and love it and depend upon it. But in that great chapter, go there now if you can, in that great chapter where it's all about assurance in faith, nothing will separate us from the love of God, it's all going to happen because of Jesus, everything is assured. When our hearts are broken, when our souls are sad, when we don't know what to say, Romans 8.26, in the same way, Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. There's a God who so desperately cares for us that even when we can't articulate what our hearts are crying out for, he knows. He himself intercedes. My prayer is that I, along with you, will be more dependent upon God. And so we'll pray. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will help us to depend upon you in all things. And we're going to sing a song now, Lord, in praise and thanks to you, and then we'll come back to prayer. But Lord, as we wrestle with how it all works, help us not to get conflicted in that to help us just to rely and depend upon you. Amen.